for me, it's also what get that granted as I set boundaries. Like, I think there's also yes. like you become your work and protecting black girls and women is so embedded in me, my family, protecting myself. Yes. But protecting myself wasn't a piece of that until I hit a low and I needed to step away. I see the importance of doing my work, but also stepping away, meeting, setting boundaries for myself. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that became clear to me in the program, right? Is that like, we're all going to struggle. <laughs> we all have our purpose. And my this is my purpose. I think I'm stepping in and living in my purpose right now. Yeah. But like you said, you get pulled in other directions and do this and do that where it's, this work is critical. It's so important. And it's my full attention needs to be given to this work. However, it deserves it. It deserves my full attention. It's not small, right? You know, it's actually quite vast and quite deep. And I could tell you all about it if you leave me alone. (laughs) Right. You are listening to Your Unapologetic Career. Being a woman of color faculty in academic medicine who wants to make a real difference with your career can be tough. Listen, these systems are not built for us, but that doesn't mean we can't make them work for us. In each episode, I'll be taking a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain confidence and effectiveness in pursuing the dream career you worked so hard to achieve. All you have to do is tune in to your unapologetic career with me, your host, Kemi Dole, physician, surgeon, researcher, coach, and career strategist for an always authentic, sometimes a little raw, but unapologetically empowering word. I keep it real for you because I want you to win. So the truth is I get messages all the time from people who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is too good. I definitely want to do more. How can I work with you? Like, where is the front door? And so if that's you and you're a woman of color faculty in academic medicine or public health, just keep listening. The question is, are you building the academic career you want or hard at work checking boxes on everyone else's to-do list? A successful career doing the work that you love doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your values, your family, or your joy. Stop trying to be everything to everybody and get to learning the strategies that will 3X your productivity, hone your passions into grant-funded projects, and create the career you worked so hard to achieve. If you have been to every career development or professional development workshop that sounded great, but didn't actually deal with the kind of institutional pressures you face. If you are working hard, but somehow stuck in inefficiency, putting everyone else's priorities first. If you spent years training and sacrificing to become academic faculty, and here you are still working when you don't want to be on the projects you care most about. I'm here to tell you that you can walk away from this institutional mindset forever and take control of your career with clarity and strategy. Every day, I help women of color faculty in academic medicine and public health, like you, reframe and recreate their academic life so that they can channel their ideas, passions, and skills into grant-funded work with institutional support. And that is why this episode is brought to you by Get That Grant, our six-month comprehensive high-performance coaching program for high-achieving, 
women of color faculty in academic medicine and public health who are ready to reclaim career control and secure grant funding doing the work they love. In Get That Grant, we help you kick imposter syndrome to the curb for good so you lead your career with clarity and confidence. We help you learn productivity and strategy skills for grants and papers to maximize your chances of success without wasting your time, abandoning your passion, or working yourself into the ground. We help you build the foundation for an amazing and fulfilling academic career, changing your life and the lives of everyone your work will touch. Yes, this future is possible for you, and it's waiting on you to take the first step. If you are ready for career success without sacrifice, without suffering, then I encourage you to join our waitlist at kemidole.com backslash grant. After you join the waitlist, you will be notified when the next Get That Grant cohort will be enrolling. Your application process will include an in-depth career foundations assessment, helping you identify the gaps in your foundation that are holding you back from enjoying the career you worked so hard to achieve. No more secret worrying that the career you really want isn't really possible. This career assessment will show you exactly where you need to focus to level up your experience and your impact. Join the waitlist today to get in line. Visit kemidole.com backslash grant to sign up. See you soon. Hello, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited today. We have the lovely, the amazing Natasha Crooks with us on the podcast. Natasha, I know you, but tell the good folks who you are. What is your <laughs> interest? What's your background training? What good work are you doing in the world? Yeah. So my background is I'm from raised and born, born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Saw health disparities as a nurse and as a nursing student, specifically sexual health disparities in black women in comparison to any other woman, but white women specifically. I mean, really? (laughs) Right. (laughs) The passion really came from my experiences in high school, right? Like going to Planned Parenthood on lunch breaks and looking at who's graduating, right? Like we started off with a big black class and ended up with maybe 30 out of 200, you know? And so just feeling and living those disparities really led me to my research, which is protecting Black female and sexual reproductive health. So really looking at rates of STIs and HIV and why they disproportionately impact Black women. And Mm -hmm. most recently looking at Black girls and the vulnerability, um, adultification they experience and just this lack of protection societally they experience and how we can better protect their sexual and reproductive health. Yes. Talk about protect our girl. The adultification conversation is like, it hits me so deep. I feel like it hits any black woman so deep because you're like, you know exactly what they're talking about. It's like you were never got to be a kid. Exactly. It's like you're like a toddler and then you like a young woman. Like what? Yeah. It, it is so violent what we do to black girls and adolescents. And like, I don't know. I don't have any main point. I don't have anything eloquent to say, except <laughs> it just, it hits me every time. And it's, it's such an important lens on this question. That's It's such an important lens on the topic you study. I'm coming from like the OBGYN background, right? We'll save all of the the commentary. But the bottom line is like the lens, the OBGYN lens, the physician lens has always been so problem focused, like these STDs, et cetera. Like you're a problem, you're a problem. 
how do we clean up you as a problem and the power of your work and your lens, you know, on this, like, what have we actually done to this group of people, how we frame them, how we actually look at them, you know, change the course of their lives is, it just hits me deep because I feel like, honestly, I feel like I survived it. You know, like, I feel like a survivor right. of the adultification of black girls and it shouldn't be that way. A hundred percent. And then look at the lack of protection, right? At all levels. Yes. And so looking at even the lack of protection in the black family, right? And like what influences our perceptions on being grown and yes. perpetuating black girls to become grown, right? And so that's what I do. I'm fan in my face, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. I know we have a whole podcast to do, but yeah. <laughs> I'm in a space where I'm like, oh, I'm always pausing to feel what I feel, you know, and like make moments for my own humanity. And you took me right to the heart. All right. So this actually really leads well into the first question, because there's no world in which you do the work that you do just from the head. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it couldn't ever have been that you were like, oh, I'm just like checking some boxes and getting my PhD and, you know, getting my, and just like, there's no way, like what you just talked about, like that is heart and soul driven from the beginning. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that the motivation is there, right? It doesn't surprise me that you're like an extraordinarily resilient person, like, right? There's no way that you get to where you are feeling that deeply about what you feel, but yet navigating academics the way you have to. So yeah. share with us a little bit where were you in your career when you started to consider coaching? And like, what about that was not working for you, given that you were clear, like, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. Like, you didn't have any confusion about what work you were supposed to do. Yeah, I came in at a really low point. I had been experiencing burnout. I was running. I also want to say, like, I started my career, my assistant professor role during COVID. Mm -hmm. So I came in and was running through milestones just because I had nothing to do. I'm a single black woman in Chicago, in my house. First of all, why is this woman single in Chicago? <laughs> what are y'all doing out there? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Questions that need answers. <laughs> but I was highly productive because that's all I yeah. could do. I was, I was just in the house. And when COVID got better, right? it was time for me to pilot my work. And so the summer before I joined the cohort was, I almost quit. I was at the point wow. where I was completely just, I don't even know a better word, just burnt out, depressed, stressed, because I've nurtured a all black research team. And there were issues such as they were not getting paid, right? Like I was arguing about timelines and deadlines and just getting my researchers paid to do this wonderful work as well as just the hiring process. Like I think when you, you are an assistant professor, you do need some handholding. And I was thrown to the wolves. That's how I felt. Uh, it was like, yeah, you're going to do a pilot this summer. Go ahead. And there was nothing there for me. And I would say the institution I'm at was very supportive. I felt like I was very supported in terms of funding, mentorship. However, mentorship is difficult when you have mentors who are at the top right? Who yep. are so far away from being hands-on and running their first pilot that I think that really did me a disservice, right? Because I needed to be walked through, how do I hire someone? Why does it take six months? Yeah. Right? In May, you're telling me, hey, you need to launch a pilot this summer. That's no time for me to hire people through the HR process. On top of hearing students of color struggling, right? Like, 
part of having an all black research team is I'm supporting and nurturing these young minds, right? Especially exactly. female minds. And they are experiencing microaggressions and switching advisors and needing me to step in. And so I was everyone's advocate. I was protecting everybody but myself. And I felt that. Yep. You know, I filled out the paperwork and I was like, I'm depressed. I've never been depressed in my entire life. I'm a very optimistic, happy, carefree individual. And so for me, I knew something had to change. Yep. And I went to my department head and said, hey, I'm either going to take FMLA and take some time off or I need this program. And so she was like, do it. Get the program. So they supported me. I salute the part of you, whether it was a shred or not, of inner protector in you that was still fighting for yourself. Yeah. That was still like, you know what? I am going to protect. Like, Natasha, we got to do something. We put halt on this. We need a major redirect here. Because everything that you're describing is literally just like what we're expected to do. Like it's normal. That's the thing. It's like, I can hear it. And I can hear like, I mean, as you're talking, I'm like getting more exhausted, just listening to like, yes. And then it's like, oh, you have this milestone to do. You got to hire somebody. How do I hire? Excuse me. What are you talking about? Paperwork? How are you interviewing people? Like all of the things. Also, when you hire, you actually really need somebody who's like very skillful because you're learning so much. But at the same time, that's like usually not the person you can hire. This is no shade to people. Like people started different. It's like the blind leading the blind. So you hiring people who don't know how to do anything. You're trying to figure out how to do everything. And then on top of that, of course, like you're the mentor for everybody, right? You're the black woman savior for everybody. Everybody. And it's not out of resentment in that you want to protect these young black minds. You want to give them what you had or didn't have. But it's just, we have to say it out loud over and over to like, I want us to like (laughs) de-anesthetize. From the fact that like, this is just the expectation, like as if this was reasonable to put on anybody anyway. So you came in, thank you for fighting for yourself. And you said, listen, I'm going to do this program or I'm out. Yep. And so can you share with us a moment or more than one where something shifted for you in a big way and get that grant? I think the initial activity you have us do is write your mission statement, right? Like I think in so many ways, we're asked to do that often. Yeah. We're asked to do, asked to do our elevator speech. This hit different. Why? It hit different because I think the space I was in, I needed to share out loud to a group what my mission was and mm-hmm. hold firm on yes. that mission, right? Like, I think what hit different was I was in a bad space. I had all these people rallying, you know, within get that grant saying, you can do this, this, like, Loving my mission, even the little Facebook likes and, yes, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, this is what I do. And I love what I do. But you forget when you're really down and you're depressed and you're sad. So Mm -hmm. I think revisiting that mission was the most important thing I learned single handedly was coming back and saying, does it align with my mission? And if it didn't, to say no. Your activities. Yeah. Like all these things that I'm doing. Are they actually part of this mission or are they distraction? Exactly. You know, the affirmation is like not a small thing. And I think the way it can feel, it can sound small is because like we're so indoctrinated into the world of the check boxes. Like you said, I'm super productive. Like it's like the papers, the like being able to hire somebody, right? Like those are the thing, those are the big things, right? Like how could it be that being in a space where somebody affirms your mission is a big thing? And yet- that's the thing that saves you from like literally quitting is like, no, this is completely different. And I, 
I'm just like never going to stop emphasizing it because we're not supposed to be in isolation. You're not supposed to be upholding the world, right? Like you're supposed to be in a place where you can be fully affirmed. And I think, because I remember some of your early calls, like, and I remember you being like, you know, if this don't work out, I'm out. <laughs> it's like this or, but I remember that low point. But at the same time, I also remember like every time you talked about what you did, it would be like a chorus of amens. Like I remember like the, you know, people would just like, like, oh my God, like you got to keep going. Like what you do matters so much. And it's just easy to have that get lost. A hundred percent. What do you feel like you have now that you didn't have before embarking on coaching? I have more confidence in my ability to tell people no. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to give them why, right? Like I can say no and just hold firm on no and walk away and not do it. I think before I was always trying to give an excuse or a rationale as to why I couldn't Mm -hmm. do something or I was saying yes to everything because in that assistant professor role, you're taught to say yes. You're taught to be the black woman on every committee. You're taught to be. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's soul crushing. And so I think holding firm in in the no mm-hmm. and just it's a no it's a no i have a question for you do you feel some of the yeses right if we go back again before the confidence and saying no do you yeah. feel like some of the yeses are also driven by like the vulnerability of being an assistant professor in that everything is like a potential learning opportunity. So like, it's so easy, even if it's like, oh, this is not what I do, but it's always easy to see like the rationale of the yes. Yeah. You're always told to take every opportunity, especially in your first couple of years. But by the third year, I was going to quit. So that's not sustainable. Clearly it's not good advice. (laughs) It doesn't work. Please stop telling people this. Right, right. And as long as you go back to that mission, and if it doesn't align, that was enough justification to say no. Yeah. I also don't need to explain, like, it doesn't align with my purpose. Yeah, no, you don't need to waste energy on that if you don't want to. That depends on the person, the relationship, like all of those things. Because I think another thing you start to realize, especially when you start saying no, Natasha, is like, you start to realize how little somebody thought through asking you. Right. Because you get asked something and you're sitting there like, I don't know. And you're like, you're spending days thinking about this and how should I say it? And you don't know that person. When I tell you that person was just like, oh, we need a name. Natasha. You know what I mean? Right. Like it took them 32 seconds to put your name out there. And you spent like people will spend two weeks agonizing over the option. So I think one of the things, no, really, it's like an enlightening when you start really saying no more often, you really start to see like, it didn't even matter. Like, I'm just another person. Like, you can just find somebody else to do this. And then you also find out the ones that were like really coming for you. And that's fine. You can be like, okay, I can see why you really wanted me. And these are why it's still a no. But even that I have found so freeing. Yep. Because I just remind myself, like, don't forget, like you don't spend more time on this than they spent on it. Right. Well, and even I was realizing half the time I wasn't even asked. I was told. You're going to be on this committee. Mm. You're going to do this. And so sometimes it wasn't even saying no. It was saying, I'm not going to do it, which is harder. Yes, it is harder. Yeah. I think that is definitely part of the culture to drive people to not say no as much, actually. Just like 
I talk about this in another podcast where like people, and you know, it should be a 50, 50 decision. Like they ask and you give an answer, but what people will do is they'll start you at 75 by basically assuming you already said yes. And then like asking you for a detail, Hey, so we need you to be on this committee. So is Thursday or Friday better for you. And you're like, wait, where was the question? Where was the permit? Like, why are we talking about scheduling before we're talking about whether I said yes? Exactly. And it does take more work then. Now it's like, it's harder for me to like reverse this train but if you're aware of it, you can see it like, oh, I see what you just did there. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. You know? A hundred percent. Okay. I wanted to say something else about the mission statement. Purpose mantra is what we call it. I wanted to say something else about that because I think like something slipped while you were talking that like I caught on to, which is that the other thing about say yes to every opportunity, like, you know, you got to take all your opportunities is what that is indirectly telling a young faculty member is that your mission isn't enough. Yep. Your purpose isn't enough. It's not big enough. It's not deep. It's not going to be successful. Like that's not enough. Like, yeah, that's great. Yay. But you need to take all these other opportunities because you never know because we, this, because that. So like, even if nobody says, right, even if nobody looks you in the face and it's like, Natasha, I don't really understand this. I mean, some people that happens to them, but even if that does not happen to you, the messaging that you're giving somebody when you're telling them over and over again, take this, take this, take this, is that what they have is not enough. Meanwhile, meanwhile, can we just take a second to consider the lifetime of work there is in the protection of right. young black girls and women in family structures, in health structures? And like, are you kidding? That is a school of people's worth of lifetime of work. Like there is no end to the work that you can do. I know you feel that now, right? Like there is a yeah. no end to what you could do. So it's this weird, I don't know if gaslighting is the right word or not. I'm just going to say, I'm not sure if I'm using the right word, but I would just say that that's another powerful thing that happens that I can understand yeah. takes you to a place of like, you know, depression of like, there's nothing here for me because you keep being told this huge, expansive thing isn't really enough. Does that resonate with you? Yes. I mean, I think for me, it's also what get that granted as I set boundaries. Like, I think there's also yes. like you become your work and protecting black girls and women is so embedded in me, my family protecting myself. Yes. But protecting myself wasn't a piece of that until I hit a low, right? And so like I looked at protecting everything else in my world, protecting those facilitators that worked on my study, right? Protecting, why are they not getting paid? Like yes. at a point of protecting everybody but myself and I needed to step away. I see the importance of doing my work, but also stepping away, meeting, setting boundaries for myself. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that became clear to me in the program, right? Is that like, we're all gonna struggle. <laughs> we all have our purpose and my, this is my purpose. I think I'm stepping in and living in my purpose right now. Yeah. But like you said, you get pulled in other directions and do this and do that where it's, this work is critical. It's so important. And it, yes. my full attention needs to be given to this work. However, it deserves I it. It deserves right. my full attention. It's not small. You know, it's actually quite vast and quite deep. And I could tell you all about it if you leave me alone. <laughs> Right. Stop putting me all these committees right. things my way. Stop. But, and, you know, like I get that question a lot from white people is like, well, what can we do better to support you? And it's like, hmm. just care. Tell them. All I want you to is to care about the students that you work with, because if you ask them how they're doing, I bet you that changes the perspective. A how are you is so easy. And these people don't listen. I'm like, just I ask mean, them how they're doing. <laughs> listen, you know, we could go do a whole nother podcast now. <laughs> 
I'm like, how many times have you asked a question, how can I help versus actually tried something? Right. I tell people, I was like, you know what? Have at least a two to one ratio. Try two things before you ask anybody, how can I help? You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's how can I help? How can I help? We haven't been saying the same thing over and over. Like, don't ask me that anymore until you say, these are 15 ways how I tried to help. These are the three ways I think worked. And then I can help you workshop that. But don't you dare. You know what? I mean? It's like exhausting and it's just more work for you. Yeah. Exactly. When it's like, just give me something you've done and tell me how it didn't work. And I can help you go through why it didn't work or why it didn't work. Maybe. Right. Yes. <laughs> if I have that, maybe if I feel like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can't be holding up the sky. It does not work. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about something else, which is that you were overwhelmed. You were burned out. By, these are your own words. You were like, I'm usually an optimistic, happy person. I was not. I was a sad, depressed, burned out person. Yep. And this was like, I got to do this or I'm taking leave or whatever. So here's my question, because the other thing that's true about Get That Grant is that you got to come in and do the work. Yeah. You know, there's stuff to do. So tell me, like, how did you experience that? Or what was it about the experience of the work where even though you were burned out, right, and like tired or whatever, you had the energy or it created the, and like, tell me a little bit about how you were able to do it. Cause, and sometimes when I screen applications, even I'm like, sometimes I'm worried. I'm like, I think you might be so low that you, I, we can't help you. Cause you have to actually be able to log into the curriculum and yeah. do the work. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I will say one other thing, like you did a follow-up message to yes. me. Sure. Like, I'm sure I was one of those people you're like, Oh, I did. I didn't want to share that if you weren't going to share it. But yes, I did. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) I think that was honestly one of the main reasons I felt like this was for me because you cared. Yeah, because I was checking in. I was like, I really want to talk to you a little bit. Like, tell me more because I'm concerned too. Yeah. I think so often Black women are not checked on. We're not, Mm. no one's coming for us. No one's checking for us. No one's asking how we're doing. And like, you made me feel seen. And so that was one of, the main reasons why I'm like, I'm going to do it. I have to do it. She cares. Yeah. I remember I was on a a family vacation in Paris and I pulled it up and I'm like, listen to this. She cares about me and showed like my mom and dad. (laughs) And I do think with the work, I came in where I had just submitted an R01. So I had been low. (laughs) Like I was sucked all the energy out of me. Yes. But my biggest question was, how do I make this career sustainable? So I think I was coming in with a mentality of like, I was very much about sustainability. I know I can write the grant. I know I can do it, but like, where's the template? Where's the guide so this can be sustainable? And that's what you gave us. Yeah. And I love that. Like you started with the purpose mantra. You started with grounding and building the confidence. And I'm very confident. But I was not. I cried every day for like six months. That's how depressed I was. I went on medication. Like I had therapy, psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. Please tell them this. Get that grant is not a treatment for depression. (laughs) (laughs) Continue. (laughs) However, you gave me the tools to feel like I can stay in this. Yeah. And the first thing was rebuilding the confidence, which I needed because I was at that low. That was the first like, okay, I can do this. They're building me back up. Yep. Although I had submitted my R01, I had just got my feedback. It got reviewed. And so I was able to say, map on how I was going to receive the feedback. And so I think you can do this at any point, right? Like it doesn't agree. Need in line with like, you're submitting the R01. I had just submitted it, but it was like, how do I keep going? How can I handle that, that critique, that feedback I'm going to get from the R01? 
Exactly. What's my plan when these sheets show up in my inbox? You provided us with a template, a plan. You know, you had us map out. You also had us with a mentorship piece. Look at our support. Yeah. Who's supporting us? And so for me, I was also going through a critical time of like, my mentors were leaving, you know, there was some shifting going on. And so it was like, who's still there for me? Mm-hmm. And to be able to have those conversations and to have transparent conversations about how may- they might have let me down. Yeah. Was critical because I also was at a confident place to then say, hey, I was really struggling and I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z to be a better mentor. Yeah. And you need that because that's what takes away the idea that that false idea that's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't hack it. There's something wrong with me. It's like, no, like we have, but in order to get there, Natasha, you have to be in a safe enough place with a clear enough framework that you can locate yourself within it and then be like, okay, now let me actually look at all of this. And I think that's where the clarity comes from because otherwise it's like chaos in there. Like we're so hard on ourselves. We have so much pressure. Like there's all the things I can understand how it's hard to see some yeah. of what you're saying, like, you know, I didn't really actually get what I needed. Like, looking back, like, I know I worked my butt off, but like, I really needed you here or there. And so I think it is part of our process to say, listen, we're going to teach you a different way to think about your support. Yeah. So now that you understand that now, can we step back? Let's actually do like kind of an audit. And I think people do leave that quite empowered, even if they realize, you know, this person actually wasn't that great for me. That's empowering. Cause now you realize it wasn't me. Right. So I don't know. I think I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So what advice would you give a black woman listening to this who is like, okay, I signed up like what I'm ready for my transformation too. How would you mini mentor her as she comes in to get that grant? So she gets the most out of it. I would say be open as open as possible. Right. I'd say, listen to everybody's story. Cause you'll see a little bit of yourself in everyone. Yes. And what everyone's sharing, even if you're in a group of, mostly Asian women that are quiet, right? Like you might going to see yourself in other people's stories. I also feel like the support is like everything I needed on a Saturday morning for me in Chicago, the coaching sessions are in the morning. So waking up and being like, okay, I need to talk about this. Like it would be heavy on my chest and I'd be able to go to these calls and share what was going on. So I, I would definitely say like, just have an open heart, open mind and be be vulnerable. Like you have nothing to lose when you're vulnerable. And that's why I'm here today, right? Sharing how depressed I was and in a low. And I think the vulnerability and the transparency you can give other people only helps them. It does. And also I think the difference is too, I think it's important is that like you come and you unburden yourself, but it's a supportive place for everybody. So you don't leave more burden. You know what I mean? It's not like those things like, oh, you come in now you hear everybody else's sob story. Now everybody's sad and depressed. Like it's, calibrated well because I talk about this a lot y'all you got to get it out we're not doing that here like we need to be honest with what's hard but because it's a coaching space and we have a lot of tools and frameworks we're thinking about you leave the calls prepared right you leave the calls higher not lower because sometimes people are like oh I have a great group and we just depress ourselves (laughs) you know (laughs) meet every Thursday and you know pretty much ready to quit (laughs) you know I'm like I'm not sure that group is doing what it's supposed to be doing Right. I think it's solution oriented. Like you leave with feeling empowered to say something or to do something or with some type of solution. And so that's what it gave me through those months of struggle, right? Okay. I might be struggling with how to have this conversation with my mentor, 
but now I've talked through what I can say. And so now when I meet with them Tuesday, I know what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. Yes. Natasha, thank you so much for spending time with us. I really appreciate it. Did you have anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up? Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Y'all go back and listen to this. I'm still resonating, I think, from being reminded about the work that you do and how critical it is. And I, I appreciate you deeply, deeply. I hope you have a great day. Great rest of your week. Take care. You too. Ooh, congratulations to you who is still listening because the people who already stopped listening, y'all, they're going to miss out. They are about to miss out on an opportunity. So here's the thing. I would love to connect with you more meaningfully. And so I have decided that I'm going to open up some one-on-one coaching sessions for free 99 with some of my most loyal and enthusiastic listeners. I'm very excited to do this. I feel like the success of our Katie Coach LLC business enterprise allows me to have flexibility to do this kind of thing and really connect with you where you are. So who is this for? One, women of color faculty in academic medicine or public health. That's who this is for. Number two, you have not been a coaching client of Get That Grant or any of our other offerings. Number three, you love this podcast and rock with it, okay? So if that is you and you are interested in potentially being able to schedule with me a one-on-one coaching session for free, then this is what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to reflect on this podcast episode you just listened to and consider what is your top takeaway? What was your big aha moment in listening to this and why does that matter to you? And what you're gonna do is Post that answer, your top takeaway for the podcast, why it was important to you. Make sure that you include the podcast number and the title of the podcast. Post that either on Twitter or Instagram and tag me. You have to tag me because if you don't tag me, then I'm not going to know that you did this. So then you can't be entered to win the one-on-one coaching session. So you're going to tag me with your top takeaway on Twitter or Instagram. Post it along with the episode number and name, and that will enter you into a drawing for a free coaching session with me. I am going to do more than one, and I'm going to do this more than once. So I would recommend strongly that you consider the math and, you know, adjust your efforts accordingly. (laughs) But like all jokes aside, I am really excited about this. I'm excited to connect with you all that I haven't had a chance to I'm very clear, like I understand that our coaching offerings are what we call high ticket programs. They're expensive. They're not cheap because you know what? They weren't designed to be, (laughs) but that doesn't mean that everybody can access them. So you might fall into that category. You might just fall into a category of like, I don't really know what this is about, but these podcasts are really hitting and helping me. And so if you do, and you're a woman of color faculty in academic medicine or public health, then follow the instructions and hopefully I'll get to connect with you soon. All right, take care.